Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 129 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am currently packing up to head to Colorado for a week of coaching at the Climbing Wall Association Summit, as well as the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar, and I'm really looking forward to that Um, and hopefully seeing some of you there. If you happen to be around and you see me, grab me, come say hello. I'll most likely be running around grabbing people for podcast interviews when I'm not coaching. Um, Nate will be there as well. So please look us up, say hello. Uh, We've also got some cool things coming. We just had a big team um, conference call the other day and... Really exciting, cool things coming down the pipeline from all of the coaches and from the company as a whole. Um, In the next few days, you will be seeing new apparel that's coming, tees and tanks. And then we've got some cool big projects that will be sort of hitting the internets uh, come summertime. So be on the lookout for those. And you'll certainly hear more right here. Um... Today's guest really doesn't need an introduction, um, but just in case you don't follow Climbing Media, which I can't fathom you aren't doing if you're listening to this podcast, um, today's guest is Mina Leslie Wujastic. She is a UK-based climber and nutritionist um, who has a sense of 14B and V13 under her belt. And Mina was the subject of a 2014 film called Project Mina that I absolutely loved and I've watched multiple times. And uh, I'll link to that in the show notes right there in your pocket supercomputer. So you should be able to find out how to see Project Mina if you have not seen it already. Also, Mina has a track record of really digging into these amazing lines, um, kind of dream lines that would easily make any climber's all-time list who is at that level. And she had dug into a big project in the UK that that I really wanted to talk with her about. And we sat down in the Red River Gorge to discuss these big audacious projects and what the specter of maybe not succeeding on it might look like. And a lot has happened since this interview. So just today, I connected with Mina via Skype to get a little bit of an update on how things have gone and stick around after the main conversation to hear that update. And uh, let's get into it. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, Something that I try and do in life in general is lean into uncertainty and things that feel a bit uncomfortable because I think that is a space in which we can all really grow. 
haven't been looking at this at all. Um, tell me a little bit about why projecting on the road is even a thing you want to do because that can be fucking stressful. Yeah, um, it's not always what I want to do. I'm not like, I don't exclusively project on trips. In fact, last year I kind of attempted to project a bit and then ended up giving up because I, I it was actually my second trip to the Red. I came in 2015, but I kind of wasn't climbing very well and was a bit injured and there was, you know, life got in the way. And so I didn't actually, when I came back um, last year in 2017, I felt like, a lot of the climbs were new to me. Like there was a new level available to me. So then in terms of like on-siting and quicksends. So I started kind of with a bit of a project and then sacked it off quite quickly because I didn't want to rest. I didn't want to yeah. rest my skin. I didn't want to rest my body for a hard send when mm -hmm. there was so many good quality lines that mm -hmm. I hadn't tried and been on. So I ended up really having more of a kind of mileage trip and just doing... On sighting, flash goes, quick sends, you know, two or three sessions maximum. Um, yeah, yeah for, for actually most of the trip in the end. So this year, I feel more like I've done a lot of classics here. There's obviously still stuff I haven't done for sure, but the, I've done a lot of um, the kind of classics in, in sure. that quick send range for me. So I'm, yep. I'm kind of happy to have a, a more of a project mindset this time. Yeah. If you walk away having not, scent mm. how does that i mean is that an okay thing for you do you feel okay leaving a trip or like three quarters um, of the way through or are you like all right i'm bailing on this project for something else um <clears throat> it depends <laughs> it depends like i think often i'm fairly good at gauging whether i've got whether something's within me or not mm -hmm. and so sometimes like for example i went to smith rock kind of this time last year before coming to the red and i tried right. to just do it yep. for a couple of weeks and it was incredible i had an amazing time but I was under no kind of delusion that I was going to do it in two weeks. I thoroughly enjoyed trying it. I want to go back and do it at some point, but I'll go on a longer trip. Mm -hmm. um, but I was basically going to support a friend who was trying it. I tried it in project mode for two weeks, didn't do it, but I wasn't disappointed when I left because there were no expectations around doing it. Um, but then I've had other trips where, so I was in Flatanger this summer and I got I did actually do it, but I got really close to not doing it, if you right, like. And that right. kind of stressed me out in the last few days. Like, I really didn't want to go home without mm -hmm. it. Um, it's hard not to switch your expectations into, like, I really want this thing that three days ago I didn't really care whether I did or didn't. Exactly. Like, before I went to Flatang, actually, it was supposed to be a bouldering trip. Um, but then it rained a lot, and um, I'd never been to Flatang, and I wanted to check it out, and then it was really, really good. So it ended up turning into a route climbing trip for me. Um, but I injured my shoulder earlier in the summer. So really, I was grateful to be rock climbing again, let alone having, I didn't go with the intention of projecting the route I ended up projecting. I didn't really even know anything about before I went. But by the time I was leaving, it was like so important to me, you know, like it shifts, yeah, doesn't it? And it does. it's hard not to get <clears throat> too attached. But even that I think is such an interesting thing about climbing. Like we're constantly learning about attachment and totally. detachment and managing that whole relationship um of expectation and need and you know all that stuff and i find that quite interesting but still a constant learning curve like i'm i'm not definitely not good at it yet yeah same here i've been you know i don't take many sport climbing trips um and haven't in my career but this time coming back to the red which is my home area 
I, I didn't even want to come for sport climbing. I'm in like boulder mode. Mm. I just want to go to Waco. I want to boulder. And I came for Annalisa and, and I was like, Oh, I'll just play on some things, see where I stand with these roots that were my anti-style previously. And now I'm finding myself going, what if I don't send before I leave, you know? Mm. And I'm thinking I could come back next year just for a couple of weeks if I time it right. And if I train before the trip and, you know, I'm planning out in case I don't do this route that I had no attachment to. It wasn't even on my radar Mm. when I got here. It's so funny that we get that attached that quickly. Yeah. And it's easy to forget your past achievements as well. Not forget them, but kind of they lose importance. The next thing comes into focus and suddenly those don't matter as much and the next thing is all, all that matters. Yep. And uh, I, I make a real conscious effort to try and stay away from that. Um, but I mean, I, I fail daily, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's really important that you, you fail at it, but mm. you continue making the effort. Well, I think the starting point is having an awareness of it. You know, like yeah, if we know that absolutely. we do that stuff, yep. then you can, you know, you get caught up in it and then you have a moment and I kind of go, okay, come on, you know, like stop being an idiot. Like you've had a really good year. You don't need anything else. Don't be greedy. Because that's the yeah. it is really sometimes it's yep. being greedy. Yeah. You're like, this was my list. If I do this, I'll be satisfied. You check off the last one and then you're like, oh, let me add a yeah. couple more. You know, yeah, I've got yeah. time. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy <laughs> game we play with ourselves. We're a greedy bunch of <clears throat> climbers. And all of this, you know, talk <laughs> about both projecting and expectations Annalisa and I watched Project Mina again the other night. Mm. I messaged you about this. And that used to be required watching for all of the girls that I, <laughs> I coached. That's so funny. Because there's so there's so much emotion in climbing. Mm. And at the time that Project Mina came out, I didn't feel like it was it was accepted yet for mm-hmm. women to show the emotions. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was great that you were completely emotional about your expectations and Mm. either failing or succeeding in reaching those goals. Um, And that you were willing to show it, you know, Mm. out in front of everybody. And that that was really the film. Like, these are my expectations. I didn't reach these goals. Here's how I'm going to go on and be happy. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was amazing. And while I was watching it the other night, I thought, how in the hell did she then get stuck into rain shadow? Like there's this <laughs> there's this giant project that that is I mean, it's massive. Yeah, so I'm a lunatic. It clearly. could be a similar emotional roller coaster. Yeah. I'm not sure what I'm doing, to be honest. When you put it like that, it seems insane. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking I could make another film about failure. No. um, (laughs) No, we'll see. Hopefully it will come through. I don't know. I just, um, I guess one of my, um, something that I try and do in life in general is lean into uncertainty and things that feel a bit uncomfortable because mm. I think that is a space in which we can all really grow and learn and develop and it's a scary space to inhabit but I think it's an important or at least for me in terms of life experience it's um it's kind of 
like a necessary evil, if you like, or or it's not even evil. It's just, I don't know. I think the first time I stepped into a really vulnerable place, it scared me. Mm -hmm. And the more I do it, the less it scares me. And the more I get out of my experiences as a result. And I think also as I've got older, a lot of that fear I've realized in the past is about what other people might think of me. And I really care a lot less about that now than I, my younger self did. Um, So if I don't do rain shadow ever, that's kind of okay. Like I'll be disappointed in terms of like my own um, progress and achievement because I've worked really hard and put loads of training in and I'm going to continue to put loads of training in. I hope that it pays off, but I don't feel um, too much kind of external pressure. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose I feel a little bit because it's hard to hide at Malum. Like that route goes straight up the middle of the crag. Like you can't secretly try it. Right. And you've made it a public thing. Yeah, exactly. It was and kind I think of, that's okay. It was hard not to really because I was spending big chunks of my mm. year either training for it or trying it. And when part of your job involves social media and stuff, you, you've just got these big empty gaps if you don't talk about it. And in the end, I actually thought it would be useful because often with climbers that I follow that are like super inspiring, you don't hear about the stuff they're trying until they send it. Right. And actually that's the least interesting bit to me. And I thought, well, I can't complain if I don't share and talk about it. And I think the process is really interesting. So even if I never do it, then hopefully I can share some insights along the way. If people find that useful, then that's great. And yeah, I don't know. You know, it, I think oftentimes we, like you just called it a necessary evil and then backtracked and we're like, well, it's not an evil, but, Mm. and I feel the same way that it is, it's a struggle. Mm -hmm. I think it's a necessary struggle if you want to grow, you know, it's, it's, it sounds to me like you like learning Mm, and you like growing and Mm. you like improving and you can't grow or learn or improve unless you struggle a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I often even think that, you know, we have those sins that we, we've been working really, really hard and everything goes perfectly and we send and it just felt easy. And we're like, that was amazing. We, we love that moment. But mm-hmm. then when I step back and look at it, I'm like, I learned so much more from all the failures and from working on the project. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn anything from the send go. You know, that just became this thing that happened at the end, Mm. you know. So walking away from something, being okay with walking away from something Mm -hmm. is a really interesting place to be because you you open yourself up to all of this potential growth Mm. without attaching yourself to that outcome. That's really fucking hard to do. It's really hard. And I wouldn't say that I'm completely detached from the outcome. I think that would be um, untrue to say that. How how can we be? But I try to be as detached from it as I can. That's something that I kind of actively work on. And my thinking with it is that, you know, I don't exclusively try rain shadow and train for rain shadow and do nothing else with my life. You know, here I am in Red River Gorge. I was in Flatanger over the summer. Like I have other trips and um, I generally try it in the spring, sometimes a little bit in the autumn, although I didn't this year really because of injury. But um, so it's like, it's part of the patchwork of my climbing is having this kind of project in the background. Mm -hmm. But my thinking with it is, 
you know, when I train, when I have periods of time training for it, or when I'm building my skill set in whatever way that I do, anything that I do for Rain Shadow is going to make me better on any other trip I go on. So if I do a ton of fitness training for Rain Shadow, but I never do it, it doesn't matter because it helped me in Flatanger. And if right. I do a ton of strength training and I never do Rain Shadow, it doesn't matter because it helps me in Red River Gorge or, you know, so it's kind of quite good to have this overarching goal because it keeps me motivated mm-hmm. to continue improving and that helps me everywhere else. Um, so then it that almost takes some of the um, kind of bigness of it away, if that, does that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's that makes it even more interesting that you put it out into the public because so many pro climbers even if they do put some of their process out there, mm. it's generally when it's a sure thing or uh, a yeah. relatively sure thing. Mm. And it's a current, like, this is my goal. It's going to happen in the next two weeks. Sure. You know, it's pretty rare that you hear about a pro's sort of ancillary projects that are just sure. things they're working on and working toward for the future. Yeah, I mean, this has never really been a sure thing. It's still not a sure thing. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, when you say when I put it out there, I really know when that happened. I was going to ask you, (laughs) did you consciously make it a thing or has everyone else just picked up on the fact that you're climbing on it? It's funny. When I brought it up, you were like, shit, where did he, how does he know this? A lot of people ask me about it in interviews and in podcasts. And I'm kind of like, I mean, I know I've posted about it for sure. You know, I've, when I'm working it, I've posted about, you know, progress on it or whatever. So I guess I have spoken about it, but I didn't realize it was such a thing. I mean, it's not such a thing, but you know what I mean? I I feel like in some ways it's become, it's started to define me a little bit, which to me feels strange because Mm -hmm. um, I never really intended for that to be the case, but it's true that I am trying it and it is an overarching goal of mine. I guess, um, because this year I did a TEDx talk and I used Rain Shadow as a right. kind of narrative tool right. to make kind of a, a more um, general point and to, to tell a story about uh, more kind of um, broader things. But I used, I used kind of the journey on Rain Shadow because I think climbing is a really useful narrative for those kinds of um, Absolutely. tales and uh, those kind of uh, discussions. So I guess that may be made it a bit more public. Um, but yeah, no, in answer to your question, I'm not really sure when I, when it became something that I spoke about. Yeah. I guess, like I said earlier, it goes right up the middle of the crag. Like, and yep. the crag is like a horseshoe. Right. So if anyone is climbing at Malham and someone's on Rain Shadow, you, you know about, you can't secretly try it. And I think the British climbing scene being what it was, it was easier just to be like, yep, I'm trying it. Rather if it, than if it were something out in the woods somewhere else that you could secretly try, would you have secretly tried it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not in that position, so sure. yeah, it's hard to know. But yeah, maybe because that would have felt a bit easier, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, it doesn't. Rain shadow itself doesn't define you, like in in my eyes, the way that I see it. But the just the specter of this big goal, this big audacious goal, that sort of does, and I'm not going to say define you. That's not the way to put it. But mm-hmm. when I think of of you and your climbing, I do think of someone who sets these 
these big goals and then goes after them and mm. isn't and doesn't seem to be shy about being a little afraid of the goal. Yeah. Although I've only really done it with I can't think of any other example that I've I done I think it's that because with. of the film. I mean, that's my Oh, because of the Project Mina film. Yeah. Because of the competition. Yeah, not necessarily goals. a root goal, mm. a, a, oh, okay. a, you know, a specific grade or a specific route, but just a goal in general. Mm. You know, and I just watching footage of you reading your blog, it definitely seems like there's this holistic approach to these things. So just the idea that there is this big goal is what what I associate with you, not specifically rain shadow. It just happens to be okay. called rain shadow in this yeah. case, you know. It's interesting because <clears throat> people have also said to me like, oh, you really want to climb 9A? And, and I'm like, well, actually not really. Like right. I really want to climb rain shadow. Yeah. I think the thing is I just get really psyched for mm -hmm. certain things and then they like... I don't know. I just get really into it. I love climbing like most climbers. Yeah. And so I get really psyched on my project and then I kind of focus in. I, th I think a lot of people do that. Um, I don't know if it's that different really to a lot of processes that um, climbers have. But you just make it public. Like we said, you know, a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of climbers don't like, for instance, the news just came out that Carlo sent meltdown. Mm. And I would loved to have known that was something he was regularly working on and been able to watch video of him working on it. Mm. I mean, it's potentially the hardest crack climb on the planet, one of the, and we just didn't hear anything about the process. Yeah. You know, it's a, it was a multi-year process for him, but yeah. we didn't hear about it. Not in a, not in a really public way no and i guess you <clears throat> hear about it in a retrospective sense but that's somehow right. less interesting because it comes it from is. a very safe space yeah so it's easy to look back and be like yeah i felt this mm -hmm. um but at the time it's it can be more it can have a different kind of shade to it i guess totally yeah. you said something a minute ago that's totally going to take us on a tangent if we allow <laughs> it i'm not going to allow it but i am going to ask you this people are like you really want to climb 9a Mm -hmm. the grades have to matter a little bit. Mm. I mean, to all of us, it's, it's a gauge that we use. How much does it play into your conversation with yourself mm. about Rain Shadow? Um, to be honest, really not that much. Okay. Like, I don't know. It would be great. I'd love to climb 9A, of course. Who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, but, Generally, I get more inspired by lines and by climbing, by certain climbs. Like, yeah. for example, there isn't another 9A that I particularly am like, I really want to go and try that. Like the next thing, the next kind of other, the next kind of level route that I would really, really like to do is just do it in Smith Rock. Right. That's, and that's slightly easier. It's not right. 9A, it's 8C+. Um, but for me, that's really inspiring because I, I think the line's amazing. The climbing's really interesting. It's really challenging and for radically me for a different number of reasons. Rain radically different. <laughs> um, I would need to learn loads of different things to be a good enough climber to be able to climb that. So it really yeah. inspires me, and it's in a beautiful place. And you know, like so, it's it's all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
but I, I also really enjoy the physical challenge. I like being, I like training. I like working hard. I like seeing um, that training um, pay off in a physical sense. And I like then when I'm strong and when I'm fit, trying really hard on the rock. So I do like trying hard routes and I like trying something, it feeling impossible, you know, taking it all apart, putting it back together. And that satisfaction of having kind of worked something out um, right. that problem solving element. I really yeah. enjoy that side of it. So that kind of all fits in line with hard red pointing. Um, and for me, hard red pointing at the moment sits between 8C and 9A, I guess. Yeah. It gives um, you this tangible piece of growth that you can mm -hmm. like latch onto, you know, yeah. you can check off the links you've done. And, exactly. You know, and Rain Shadow is just like the top edge of that for me. Like I'm, you know, people climb harder for sure and you know it's not going to be like some kind of earth shattering ascent if i ever do rain shadow mm -hmm. but for me it will feel right. really big because i know it's right at my limit and it's cool having something in the country that i live in that is really inspiring that's really good climbing the rock's amazing there's no grim holds on it it's really awesome climbing and it pushes me to be probably the best boulderer I have to be in order to do the crux and probably the fittest I have to be mm. um, in order to do the route. So it's like this perfect challenge at right at my ceiling, right on my doorstep. Like, I don't know, there's, that, it's perfect really. Yeah. Another thing that I think might bring rain shadow into the forefront, I'm going to keep bringing it up here <laughs> because, because you're right. It does. It's this great narrative um, for determination. That's what you're, TED Talk was about, right? Mm. And one of the other things that might bring Rain Shadow into the forefront for other people is the accident. Can we talk a little bit about that and just how you've how you've bounced back from that and what that looks like now? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much you want to go into it or how comfortable you are going into it, but for the people out there who aren't familiar with the accident, tell me a little bit about it. Um, whatever so, you're comfortable with sure sure so this was probably just over a year ago so august 2017 i was beginning to have a bit of a fall season on rain shadow um an autumn season on rain shadow and i just took a bad lead fall on it um the mechanism of the fall was kind of um complex and quite interesting actually um but what it amounted to was that I injured myself on it. Um, which, and then it involved quite a kind of hefty rescue. Um, I came away with a head injury, but otherwise pretty unharmed. So I, I was pretty lucky. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know if you want me to go into like the mechanism of the kind of fall, uh, basically I my harness in was your, a bit too Yeah, big. I think you've got a great blog post that talks yeah. quite a bit about it. And I'll link to that in, sure. the, you know, in the show notes. But um, like you said, it ended up being just that your harness was a little too big and flipped you over basically. Yeah, it was a combination <clears> of things. There was a, I, I fired off a hold. Um, so my left hand fired off really fast and unexpectedly. And my right leg was quite high and like a high step and mm. my left leg was below me. So there was a huge leftward force to my right. fall. Um, I wasn't actually that far above my clip, maybe like my foot was maybe like half a meter above my last draw, mm -hmm. like really not that far. Um, and, but my harness was a bit too big. And when I say a bit too big, like it wasn't going to go over my pelvis or anything. It was right. just that my waist is quite a bit smaller than my hips. And it was kind of waist 
um, girth rather than, uh, sorry, hip girth rather than waist girth. Right. Um, so as I fell, um, because of the sideways force, um, my harness then as the rope tightened to catch me, my harness righted itself and the knot went obviously more vertical, but I kept twisting because it didn't, it wasn't gotcha. snug enough around my waist yep. to pull me upright. Yep. And also because it was loose, it probably altered where my center of gravity was. So I kept twisting, which meant that um, I kind of flipped sideways and upside down. Right. And then I, I, so where I'd fallen was slightly overhanging. And so the bolt is in a slightly funny face as, place as well. It's kind of slightly out into this roof, but not as far <clears throat> out as you would like it. Mm -hmm. But you can't clip anywhere else because you can't. And um, yeah, anyway, so I flipped sideways, upside down, hit my head. Hit your head, rescued, went to the hospital. Mm -hmm. While there, I mean, when did you start thinking about going back to the root? For, it's already a, a big, audacious project. Mm. No one would have blamed you had you just said, okay, done with that <laughs> one. I'm going to pick something else. Yeah. No one would have said a word. So why go back to it? Um, well, I didn't straight away. To be honest, when I was lying, waiting for to be rescued, I was looking. Ironically, I was like lying directly under the crux, looking up at it for quite a while before the emergency services came. And I was like, I am so done with you. We, our relationship is over. I hate you. Um, and I also, you know, not only that, but also like, how could I possibly go back up? Like, how could I get over the fear and you know it just seemed right. totally insurmountable to begin with um and you're right no one would have said anything you know like I'm sure I was I was kind of acutely aware that it was a an opportunity to walk away with my ego intact and be like oh I didn't do the route not because I wasn't good enough but because right. I had this accident and and you know who were would you go thinking back that lying that? under the route no probably not that was probably you know lying okay. in bed a couple of days later I was like huh <laughs> But I don't know, once you think that, you're like, yeah, I can't let myself off the hook that easily. Mm -hmm. And and I was kind mm. of a bit mad as well. Like I was a bit like, oh, no, I'm not done. And I want to like, I didn't want to lose climbing. And actually when I first, you know, on the day of the accident, I it wasn't just, I don't know if I can go back on that route. It was, I don't know if I can climb again. Like it really, really scared me. Mm. It was horrible and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And it really scared me and I thought, I don't want to lose this thing that has been, you know, I've been climbing since I was eight years old. It was, I was, I felt like I was set up for a massive loss if I couldn't bring myself to climb anymore, if I was just too scared. And so I knew that I had to take a kind of um, pragmatic and logistical kind of um, a logical approach to overcoming the fear and kind of getting back in the game if I didn't want to lose my relationship with climbing, which sure. I wasn't prepared to do. Um, and, you know, I don't know, once I thought about it, the kind of, the truly getting over it was to get back on that route. And I don't know, I've spent so much time at that crag. I love it. I love the people that climb there. I love the community. I love the place. It really is like a happy place for me. And, and you know, whether I do that route ever or not, I really like trying it. I really enjoy working it. It's one of those, you know, you always you kind of, we have a new project and you think about, oh, the day I send it, I'll be so happy. I think I'll also be a little bit sad that it's over. Yeah. 
Like a friend of mine, um, Steve McClure, has had a long-term project, uh, Rain Man. So mm -hmm. it actually starts up the same. It does the same crux of Rain Shadow, which is his route. Right. And then it moves slightly differently. And it's, um, you know, it was his project for a long time. And I think 126 days he spent on it. And when he did it, obviously it was amazing. And it was really inspiring to me. And, you know, we, I've climbed with him a lot. We share beta. He's given me loads of support on Rain Shadow, which has been brilliant and been really behind me and um, all of them have. And um, But you could tell after he did it, his next few sessions back at the, he was like a lost puppy. Right. He was looking at everyone else on their projects and you could tell he was a bit like, <laughs> uh, guys, guys, what do I do? Right. <laughs> and, you know, he did some other stuff and, and obviously he's still climbing on stuff and he's, you know, found a stride again, but for a little bit, and he, I, he'd said it as well. I'm sure he, he would, he would say it now. He was a little bit sad that it was over. Yeah. And I can imagine I'll, I'll feel the same. And, um, yeah. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to not in, keep enjoying it. I wasn't ready to give up. I didn't want it to be taken away from me. And, Yes, the accident was a barrier, but it was a barrier in my mind, really. Right. It was a newly created barrier, but it was something that I essentially had control of, whether I wanted to look at it or not. Um, and I decided I wanted to look at it. How did you, what were the steps when you went back and actually um, got on the route? So I went fully like CBT on it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I just kind of, I did like essentially like controlled exposure on it. Like mm -hmm. I went... I set very small, manageable goals. Right. Um, so <laughs> the longer story is my mom used to do this with me when I was a kid. Like whenever we had, I was, I don't know, upset about something or anything, we'd draw pictures and we'd write like flow charts or she'd like, I remember once I went to Font when I was 11 or something. It was like my first trip abroad climbing. I went bouldering and the second day I broke my ankle and I came home and I was obviously really upset and I had crutches for like six weeks and I, and I, you know, I was a kid. I couldn't see that kind of distance of this is going to improve. And these are the steps. Right. So I remember sitting down with my mom, with my mom and she, we drew this picture and it was, she drew, she wasn't a great artist. She drew like <laughs> stick people. They were very good stick people. But she drew like a little stick Mina and I had like a, a cast, a cast on my on leg, leg and crutches and stuff. And I was sat with my leg up and, and I had like an unhappy face and it was like, okay, this is me now. Uh -huh. And then she said, where do you, what do you want? And, and then I got to draw like a stick me and I drew, so like, this is like the bottom left side of the page is me with my crutches and my broken ankle. And the top right hand side of this big piece of paper, I drew me climbing on a rock face and you know, like the wind in my hair, you know, like I was back to like climbing and I had these little muscles on my stick person, um, which would have been a totally new thing. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I, I drew me, you know, climbing again. And then my mum drew this like stepped staircase between the two. And then we wrote on each kind of um, level of the staircase, like the steps back to it. Wow. So what, um, and so then I had this tangible journey and it wasn't just like, <clears throat> I'm in this crappy place where I have a broken ankle and I can't do what I want. And there's this far off, maybe distant thing where I'm gonna climb again. It was suddenly like, oh, I'm gonna get from there to there and these are the steps. And so we did things like, you know, what can you do now? So I would do chin-ups. I would go to the climbing gym and traverse along with one foot. Right. And 
And then, you know, the next step was, oh, you'll get your cast off and you can start weight bearing a little bit. So then you can start walking again and building the muscles in your leg. And, you know, there was all the stages. And so essentially, I guess I've got that kind of mindset um, ground into me. And maybe that's why I like red pointing because it yeah. is kind of like a before and after thing. Absolutely. And, you know, you break something down, mm. you work it out and you you reassemble it and ta-da, you're yeah. back. And so What I, was your mom's background? Where did this, where did this come <laughs> she from? She was wonderful. Um, where did it come from? I don't know. Um, she's an academic, so she was kind of um, very intelligent and she studied philosophy and French and German and then went on to study Sanskrit and um, she was an mm. Indologist, so she worked with kind of um, um, ancient Indian religion and gender. So a lot to do with uh, wow. kind of women in India and that kind of stuff. And um, so more kind of humanities side of things, really. Um, but she was, you know, a problem solver and a thinker. Yeah. and um, like you are. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, so with the fall, I... Um, I set quite small. So the, the I guess the whole point of the staircase is that you set manageable goals. So like my first goal in turn, once I decided I wanted to go back on Rain Shadow was, well, one of the first things I said to myself is you don't have to. You don't, I know you want to, but if it just was all too much, it's okay. It was okay at any point in the process mm. for me to walk away. Yep. I left that Important. door fully open. And I didn't say to anyone, you know, I'm definitely going back on Rain Shadow. I just said, I'm gonna see. And my first kind of step was to go back to the climbing area. And I took a really good picnic that day because I thought I might not even climb. I might just <laughs> eat my picnic. You know, it was good enough just to go back. Because I spent like... You and Steve know, can like, just sit together and exactly. eat a picnic. Yeah. <laughs> my picnic would be better than his. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'd spent a lot of time on a stretcher there. I'd, right. you know, had a traumatic experience there. So my first goal, my first kind of thing was, okay, we'll just go back and see how returning to the place makes you feel. Mm. And you know, the next step was to top rope the warm up, And then the next step, you know, and, and so it was kind of like that. And actually the first time I went back, it was totally fine. Like I have so many good memories there that they mm. were, you know, one bad memory didn't override it. So actually I did a few of my steps on the first time back. I did some top roping. Um, and then when it came to actually getting back on Rain Shadow, I... Um, I, you know, I, I first to start with, I top roped. So I, I stick clipped up, um, so that the rope was above me on the crux section and I right. climbed the crux moves that I'd fallen on mm -hmm. with a top rope above me. So there was no lead fall potential and with a helmet on. I yep. mean, bear in mind to start with, I wanted to wear a helmet to walk to the shop. Right. Like I felt right. really vulnerable. I mean, I didn't go back on range. I don't until I was totally asymptomatic, yeah. um, which was probably a month later. Um, so I, I definitely was, um, you know, I didn't still have like a wound or anything. Um, but just, um, yeah, so I had the rope above me. I just wanted to, you know, because memories are really visceral. They're really kind of connected with movement. And I had this really kind of visceral memory of, how I fell and that move from the move that I fell on is was instantly connected to the scary experience and the sure. pain and the fall. Um, so I wanted to kind of almost reprint over that, yeah. do that move loads Get of into times that position in a safe with the high place. Foot and, yeah. Exactly. Do the move lots of times. Mm. And, and I'd get little adrenaline rises when I did it, even though I was on top rope mm -hmm. and there's actually a working bolt, um, halfway between so that you you wouldn't clip on lead because you you can't right. i mean it's it's kind of old and rusty anyway but um so then i the next thing i did was clip that 
mm-hmm. um, and hold on. So I couldn't, you can't really kind of hold on that well on the move that I fell on, but I held the move, the hold above. And with that one clipped, I just dropped off. So I took a mini lead fall, but you know, really not much of a fall at all. And then I climbed through that section, <clears throat> just the top section, um, with that bolt clip. So I had a, a kind of, um, a quick draw kind of waist height. So like really close. Um, but again, you know, slightly one step further than doing it on a top rope. Um, and then I unclipped that one. So I was on the same draw that I had had my injury from and I just let go and took, you know, took the fall, but totally in control, just letting go. Yeah. That was probably quite one of the scariest mm. steps. And then, you know, I just gradually built it up like that and yeah. constantly learning. So the point of this is that I, one of the main points is that I had a new harness that fit me properly. Um, so what I was trying to do was learn well, I was trying to discover whether that fall was going to happen again mm. badly. Sure. Because the last thing I wanted to do was to repeat that accident. Mm. I mean, you know, it's, it sounds stupid. You have an accident on a route, then you go and get back on the route. Like, ooh, you know, I get that that might seem a little bit crazy. Um, but I actually had, by weird coincidence, a tourist had filmed, was filming at Malam Cove. So it's quite a tourist spot. Someone was filming the climbing because they just thought it was interesting and happened to catch my fall on film, found me about a week later and said, look, I know this sounds strange, but do you want the footage? And to start with, I was like, hell no. And then Mm -hmm. after a while I was like, actually, this could be kind of useful because, (laughs) and what I did was I watched it over and over and over again, which initially, you know, isn't great. I don't want that in my mind, but I wanted to understand what had happened. I Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of um, pick it apart and really work out the mechanism of the fall. And that's yeah. why I can say, I know there's, you know, cause there's a certain amount of my analysis of the fall that comes from memory. And there's a certain amount that comes from watching it. Sure. And watching it really <clears throat> helped to kind of confirm my feelings about what had happened and helped me to understand, you know, I could see how I'd fallen, how I twisted, how my harness hadn't supported me, what other factors were at play. And so as a result, when I went back to the route and I started taking practice falls, it wasn't just about learning to fall again. It was testing a theory. It was going back. You know, I had a hypothesis essentially about what happened and I got a tighter harness. I put roller drawers in certain places to make the belay extra dynamic. I, um, yeah, so I, I, I did a ton of stuff and then I tested my hypothesis over and over again. I took that fall so many times with a helmet on making sure that I wasn't going to invert again because I have never seen anyone. And I, I've actually, there's only, I think nine people have done the route and I've spoken to pretty much all of them about it. No one's ever inverted on that. Like I'm the only one. It's not an unsafe fall. You're not that far above your door. My leg wasn't behind the rope. There Mm -hmm. was nothing weird weird about, you know, mostly when these accidents happen, there's like a, Oh, that fall. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be weird. Or your leg was behind the rope or, right this or that or the other. And there was, there's nothing about that. You're in a roof, like you fall into the air. It shouldn't really have been like that. Right. Um, so as a result, I had quite a, a kind of a tangible process and something to test. So I, I went very kind of scientific on it Yeah. and, um, and I tested it. And after a while I felt comfortable to take that fall again. And after quite a bit longer, I felt comfortable to take that fall without a helmet. Yeah. And that, I know for some people will seem crazy and I get that and I totally respect those yeah. opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> for me, that was about getting back to normal. Yeah. 
Um, and if I'm ever in doubt of my safety, I will wear a helmet. Like I wear a helmet trad climbing as a rule mm. and sport climbing, I generally don't. But I now think about it more, sport mm. climbing. Before I used to be just like, oh, trad climbing, I wear a helmet, sport climbing, I don't. And now I have a helmet and I make an assessment based on where I am and what I'm doing and what the risks are. Um, yeah. And that is also applied to rain shadow. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, uh, the video is really interesting because it, it allowed you to sort of speed up this process of replacing all these emotions with logic mm. and, and understanding instead of just these free form emotions that, yeah. you know, we're, we're certainly there mm. and, and are going to be there for any human. Mm. Um, and I think the helmet thing is, is similar. It's, it's an emotional reaction to some degree. Mm -hmm. People are going to argue that it's safer. Sure it is. Mm -hmm. But it reminds me of, I, I had Hazel, friend of yours, on mm -hmm. the podcast. And shortly after I watched a presentation she gave, and she talked about having an accident, um, hang gliding. Was it hang mm -hmm. gliding? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, well, I just went back up and did it again because... I'd hang glided hundreds and hundreds of times and I'd had one accident yeah. and that ratio is pretty good. Yeah. You know, and one, one time hitting your head while you're sport climbing yeah. after thousands and thousands of falls is still mm. a pretty good ratio. It is. I've been climbing for 23 years. Yeah. It's like the first time and only time that's ever happened. Yeah. And, um, and if that ratio is not, comfortable for other people mm. they can totally wear helmets there's absolutely zero wrong with it i mm. have no no aversion to it at all mm. and you know good for you if you want to do it that way and that makes you comfortable great mm. do it by all means um but i mean you some... can have this argument about <clears throat> anything really. exactly like free soloing alex honnold you know yeah. all that kind of stuff I personally would wouldn't do what he does or right. what we all draw know, our lots lines. Of other people. We all draw our lines in different places, but I I don't hold that, you know, I get that he draws his line in a different place and that's okay because he's a different person and he's made, you know, an an educated, informed decision about, you know, and, and it's the, it's the same with hazel and hand gliding. It's the same with, you know, riding a bicycle <clears throat> with or without a helmet, walking down the street, you know, yeah. uh exactly where do you draw the line it's really difficult yeah you have to choose your place and, mm. and what's important is that you've you've decisively chosen where to draw your line and, and you you know that you can change set. it if you want to yeah 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 and i think also it's not it's not a random decision it's not right. a um it's in a it's got a context and it's got an awareness of a skill set um you know, part of the reason I don't free solo is that I don't have that skill set. It's not something I've worked on over the years. And perhaps if I had, then I would. Right. But that would, um, for me, not be a comfortable enough space safety wise for me to enter into. Mm -hmm. But um, this after analysis, in-depth analysis is. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know what I, you know, what's in my head right now that I really, really want. I know it doesn't exist, but I really want it is like this piece of paper with a little Mina in the bottom left-hand corner with like her little head wraps on <laughs> and then the stair steps up to like Mina sending rain shadow. With <laughs> That'd be nice. Wouldn't singing it? birds and yeah. Steve McClure at the bottom cheering her on. You know? 
That's what I want. Whenever whenever rain shadow happens, we're going to we're make that, that and put That'd it on the cool. internet. That'd be cool. My mom would be so pleased. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have your mom draw the little Mino <laughs> with the the head wraps on. <laughs> yeah. So after you know rewatching Project Mina, having this conversation, you decided that comp climbing wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. Was it? the pressure, the self-imposed pressures? Was it, what was it about comp climbing that's so different from the self-imposed pressures of projecting and, and climbing outside? What, where does that difference lie that comp climbing wasn't for you, um, outdoor climbing is? I, had, I just kind of felt like I woke up one day and realized I wasn't having fun mm-hmm. and I wasn't enjoying it. And I know that not everything we work for in life is always going to be fun. And not everything that we put time in is going to be fun all the time. And it was fun a lot of the time, but that ratio of fun to not fun, right? Um, you know, the balance swung in the wrong direction towards the end. And yep. I, it felt, for me personally, it felt, um, it suddenly just started to feel empty. I had these goals that were, um, or not even, I don't know what my goals were. I, I, you know, because I was never podium material. I was never going to win a World Cup or even make a podium. I was, I kind of wanted to make a final. I wanted to just keep doing a bit better. But it was so um, changeable. You know, like it wasn't outside with your project. It's you versus the rock. Mm. Whereas in a competition, it's you trying to be better than the person next to you, which right. I don't know. It just always just sat weirdly with me mm. because for a start, you you know, you can inevitably kind of end up doing well because someone else had a bad day and that feels really empty. I think I got a good result once. Oh, I think one of my best results, I can't remember um, which competition or anything, but I I remember having this feeling of like, I didn't climb well today, but I just got one of my best results. But it was just because a few other people had a bad day. Mm -hmm. And equally, there were days where I felt like I climbed really well, but on paper, I hadn't done well. I didn't get a good result. And that after a while started to feel really kind of dissatisfying. Mm-hmm. And also they were so transient, you know, one year goes, yeah, okay, I made this number or something compared to the people that happened to be competing that year. And I don't know, on a number of levels, it all just started to feel very empty. And whereas, you know, the routes that I've done and the boulder problems that I've done, I really care about. And not it's not always the hardest ones that are the ones that I remember and that are significant it's sometimes the ones that scared me the most or the ones that took the most time despite not having the biggest number or they're the ones where I had a really good time with my friends or my partner. And there's just so many, there's so much more for me personally in that outdoor experience, whether it's on-siting or projecting, there's, it's more of a patchwork of experience for me than competition climbing was. And that's not to take away from the skills in competition climbing sure. because I think, you know, good competition climbers, it's really impressive. Yeah, you know, they no can't doubt. turn up the next day and try their competition. You know, you have to be good on that day and that's right. really hard. Yeah, And there's a lot of pressure, and, <clears throat> you know, it, and the block's are really hard. Um, but I don't know. I like, I, I just, I was happier outside. As soon as I made that decision, I, I just felt this, like immense relief and I don't know I get like a real euphoric happiness from climbing outside 
Um, I've talked actually a lot with Hazel about kind of the concept of flow um, and flow experience. Yeah. And I, I get that a lot climbing outside. Mm-hmm. And um, that's like a big a big part of it for me. I don't think I ever had that competition climbing. That's what I was going to ask you. There's There's a moment in Project Mina when you top out a boulder and there's this this brief little pause where it looks like you've kind of you've sort of snapped out of the flow state you're becoming aware of what just happened and then there's this little dance that happens oh is that on careless talk i can't remember what it was an outdoor boulder yeah a big one yeah 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 careless talk and i was wondering has that ever happened for you in a comp have you (laughs) ever even considered happy dancing in a comp i don't think so but that's exactly it isn't it like that meant so much to me and like you say you're in this kind of flow state experience this kind of hyper aware um hyper involved state um and it's incredible it's it's like um yeah I don't know how to describe it sometimes. Yeah, And I don't think I ever had that indoors. I I, For sure I had like a, like a buzz and a kind of, um, it's definitely a buzz to competition climbing. You go out on the mats and there's music and people are cheering and it's all very exciting. And, and when you do well, that's nice. And so there, there is, there is that kind of like high energy element to it. Yeah. But I think outside, I actually don't like all that external high energy. It's like the, then it's internalized high energy when you're having that flow experience outdoors on a route. Um, and I think I prefer routes for that reason now as well, mm-hmm. because some you're further away. You're more like somehow on your own high up. Right. Um, even if, you know, you can hear your friends or there's people down on the ground, there's, there's a little bit of a distance. It's a bit more of a kind of... Um, personal missions yeah yeah you're in your own little world up there doing your own little battle yeah yeah i don't know if i'm describing it very well but i think you get what i mean absolutely yeah Yeah, for sure and you know i saw it in the video i'm acting like watching this hour long film of you makes me an expert on how you react to things but (laughs) but there's a moment where you do it while training as well yeah um okay i don't remember that bit it's is it Oh, it's, it's while campusing. That's exactly what it is. Oh, yeah. It's like a 158 or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, 148. I don't remember. But mm. but it was while campusing. You got really excited. And that's also a very solo sort of mission. Mm. That's how it looked in that moment, you know. And maybe that's all editing or whatever. Mm. But, but I didn't see that same joy that mm. came after sticking that on the campus board or after topping out the boulder i didn't see that same joy after any of the comp boulders no no i don't i don't remember feeling that kind of same feeling it's interesting actually you're pointing that out yeah i don't remember ever feeling like that and i guess eventually that's what i realized sure was that, that i had this amazing opportunity to climb with a lot of my time and i was spending a lot of my time doing something that didn't really feel like it it was the heart of what I wanted. It didn't sit with my kind of intrinsic um, values and my what I actually wanted to be doing, what brought out the best in me. It didn't right. bring out the best in me. I don't think it brought out a really horrible side of me or anything, but it didn't, sure. it didn't bring out the best in me. Um, yeah, 
either physically or in kind of personality terms. I think mm-hmm. it just, um, yeah. Well, if you're not happy dancing at the comps, it's definitely not bringing out the best in the personality terms. I did happy dance at some of the World Cup parties. <laughs> <laughs> definitely happy dance I believe them. that completely. <laughs> Are there good things you did take away from all that competition that you apply to outdoor climbing now? Um, I or think does that just feel like a world away now? It feels like a world away, but I guess when I was competing was when I first started to learn how to train. I think before that I was more of a kind of, you know, I, I just went climbing and through climbing I got stronger and I got better at climbing. And then once I started doing some of the World Cups, I started to train more and I started to understand more about training. I started to get more help with training. And obviously you meet loads of really strong people on the World Cup circuit and they're all really lovely and there's a really supportive environment. And so um, I feel like I learned a lot from other climbers during that period and got inspired by a lot of climbers. But in terms of it, affecting me I guess training would probably be the main thing because I train as hard now as I did when I was competition climbing I think sometimes it's easy to think oh you quit competition climbing okay you never just never climb inside or never train or anything right and I don't kind of generally climb on like comp style boulders Mm -hmm. really or anything like that because I'm just not really that into them but I climb on boards and I fingerboard and I lift weights and I you know I still train probably actually harder now. But you care. You care a lot more about the results, Yeah, I think. Yeah, but I also understand training more now mm-hmm. and comps probably started that for me. That started me on that journey of kind of um, learning to train. So it, it definitely gave me that. Yeah, that's mm. that's really good to hear. And we've been talking for almost an hour. So oh, I'm wow, gonna, really? Yeah, Ooh. I'm not going to make you keep sitting here. But I do want to say that the... You know, when we first started talking and I brought up Rain Shadow and and you made the the comment that it's maybe starting to define you mm. and I tried to talk my way out of it. <laughs> um, I think what it is that defines you, for me anyway, um, you know, we all have our own lenses we see things through, mm-hmm. but there's a playful determination there. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have a hard time switching between those two. Mm. They're either masochistically determined or they're playful and don't want to be serious. Sure. And I think the balance that you have between being able to try really hard and still being able to happy dance Mm -hmm. is, is amazing. So for me, that's what defines you. Okay. Thank you. I like that. (laughs) Um, yeah. And we're still going to get that drawing. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm like, I'm I'm really driven, but I try and keep a context. Yeah. I remember, can I tell you another ch- childhood Absolutely. story? <laughs> tell it. <laughs> this is my dad I want this all time. all the childhood stories. But I remember coming home from school once and I, so my dad is also an Indologist, also an academic. Um, when I was younger, specialized more in kind of ancient Indian medicine, Ayurveda, those kinds of fields. Wow. Your but parents now more are really kind of interesting. Yoga and Buddhism. <laughs> um so when I, I remember coming home from school, I don't know how old I was, maybe like 10 or 11, similar kind of time period. And I'd had an argument with my friend about, you know, God knows what, something. And I was really upset. And my dad, I remember this so vividly. He was like, yeah, but you know, everything will pass. This will pass. 
and he basically went all kind of Buddhism on me. Right, and I was right. Like 10. And uh, he was like, you know, these feelings will pass. And I was like, but she did this or she said this and she hurt my feelings or whatever. And my dad was like, yeah, but you know, you're feeling really sad now. And that, that feeling is really strong. And it's quite all, you know, all encompassing and it feels quite heavy, but it will pass. Nothing about the situation needs to change, but the intensity will change just through time. And you will feel happy again and things will change. And I was like, great. And he should have stopped there really. But then he went, but then something else will happen. And that happy period will pass and you'll be sad again. And you know, you'll get older, life will pass. We're all gonna die. He went there, honestly. He was like, you know, life passes and in the end, nothing really matters. And I mean, not that nothing really matters, but he he was more articulate than I'm being now. Mm But essentially, he went into the idea of impermanence with me when I was 10. And I've since studied, um, done some kind of Vipassana meditation. And so I'm, I'm right. kind of quite interested in that kind of stuff. But probably because my parents planted these seeds when I was younger mm-hmm. of how you look at the world. And, you know, yeah, I, I want to climb my roots and my projects and I'm really psyched for them. But I'm going to die at some point and none of this is going to matter. And, you know, 200 years from now, who really cares uh, if I climbed my project, if I climb range? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, tell your dad thanks for the greatest <laughs> outro in podcast history. And and thank you a ton for sitting down with me. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You know, I've got lots of thoughts on this um, and we will get to those. However, like I mentioned in the intro, quite a bit has happened since this conversation, which happened you know, late last fall. And especially in Mina's journey with Rain Shadow. So today, Mina and I got together via Skype to talk a little more about it. Hello. Hey. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Where are you at the moment then? I am in Lander at home, Lander, Wyoming. Cool. Yeah. I I saw that you had a, a board session today, according to the Instagrams anyway. According to Instagram, yeah, first session back on the school board. It was pretty exciting. Awesome. Um, I was projecting my warm-up, but I'm psyched with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to just be back on it, to be honest. Yeah, totally. How's the wrist holding up? Okay, let's stop things here for just a second. Just in case you don't follow Mina on the social media or you don't follow the social media close enough to really understand what's going on, We're going to rewind a little bit and start this story back from where Mina gets back to the UK after her Red River Gorge trip to re-begin her campaign with Rain Shadow. Well, I didn't kind of, I actually didn't jump back on it straight away. So the plan was always to go back to the UK and I had three months of training planned. Mm -hmm. Because Malin really comes into season, it's generally in better condition in the spring. And, and it's like and it's bouldery, so you're going to need to get some of that back I, up after the red. Yeah, I felt relatively fit, but not strong. Um, but that was, you know, it was all kind of part of my plan, I guess, to have kind of two and a half to three months training, um, very kind of strength oriented because I had a good fitness base, and then to try it in the spring. Uh, so I did a month of really hard training, and I was feeling really good, and then I decided to go up to Malum. So I had a rest week um, planned into my training. 
And I thought, huh, I'm feeling really good. Maybe one day in my rest week, it would be good to, because we had this unseasonably kind of okay weather for climbing in January. It wasn't super, super cold. So I thought, oh, maybe it would be good to like, just go and check in with the moves. You know how you would just to see where you're at, see, oh, okay, I'm actually better at this bit than I thought I would be, but worse at this bit. So I'm going to tweak my training accordingly or, you know, whatever, just have a nice day out, go and check in with it, I feel, um, to kind of inform the next couple of months of training. So it wasn't like I was actually starting to try it um, properly, um, nor was I kind of red pointing on that day or anything. I was just, you know, checking in and retrying the moves. Um, partly because I injured my shoulder in the summer. So there was one particular move I wanted to see how that was. Um, <laughs> and kind of funnily enough, I felt really good on it and um, probably the strongest I felt on the crux. Um, but I fell off and broke my arm. Was it's it the, the same the move as the earlier fall? It was. Oh, man. It, yeah. Bit of a shocker. Um, <laughs> I was a bit kind of dumbfounded for a while about the whole thing. I was like, really? Um, yeah. So there's been quite a lot to digest, um, quite a different injury. Um, it was initially, I mean, obviously it's kind of not a nice injury to have, but the head injury was really, really scary. The whole rescue, you know, everything, it could have been a lot worse. Whereas, you know, broken wrist is never going to kill you. So even though I could tell it wasn't good, um, it was a, it felt a bit more contained. Like I didn't need a rescue. You know, I was able to take, you know, me and my partner, he took me to hospital and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit more felt a bit more kind of low key as it were, but it's affected me much more in the aftermath. Like I think I probably had about a month to get back to normal after the head injury. But even within the first two weeks, I was starting to do easy climbing again. Whereas yeah, I was in a cast for six weeks. It was on and off whether or not I was having surgery and then, you know, it was the kind of two and a half month of mark before I could even do easy climbing. So it's been like a much more, like I imagine in a year from now, I might be able to really, really draw a line under it. I don't know. Or maybe a year from the injury. Like, wow. I hadn't, I hadn't thought yeah. about that, that this one takes away climbing far mm. more than the other injury. Yeah. Much more. Yeah. Um, but the other one could have been a lot worse. I mean, it's not an injury competition either, so. Right, right, <laughs> totally. Them, do I? <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot to digest, actually. Yeah, I bet. You know, I read your, your Instagram post shortly after it. You know, you posted when you first got the cast on, but then I don't know if it was three weeks later or just a or sooner but you posted about I'm not sure if going back to rain shadow is in the cards and and in fact you said right now I'm feeling like it's time to tap out mm. have you yeah. have you processed any more of that or at this point are you still just let's focus on what I have to do right now we'll worry about rain shadow later yeah, I'm kind of in that space, to be honest. Um, I think at the time, I was just very conscious. I was getting a lot of really amazing support from people um, in the my kind of close community and wider community, like lots of really positive messages and stuff. But there was definitely a narrative around like, come back stronger, you're going to send, you're going to you know, come back from this and it's all going to be okay. And I just wanted to put it out there that, I don't know, I, I felt from those comments, even though that they were really positive, I could feel a bit of pressure. 
Um, and I just wanted to kind of say, look, I don't know whether I'm going to try it anymore for a number of reasons. The primary one being, I don't know if my wrist will be able to recover enough. Um, so I, I can climb, I can climb now and I will be able to climb lots of things in the future, but I might be limited in certain hole types sure. um, because of my range now. Um, it was quite a complex break. It was a bad one. I shattered my radius and I broke my ulna both through the joint line. So, um, and I displaced the whole fracture. So they had to reset it in, oh. in accident emergency. I know it's the kind of thing in a film where you're like, I don't want to watch this bit. Tell me what's <laughs> And you're like, ah, crap, they're going to do that to me. Um, luckily, they heavily sedated me and gave oh, me loads good. of really painkillers. Um, but yeah, so it was never... And, and it was never great. And the reason they didn't actually plate it in the end, like put any metal work in, is because <laughs> in the consultant's words, there wasn't really enough to attach it to. Um, oh, wow. In so many fragments, you know, they never actually told me how many pieces my radius was in, but quite a lot. So it's kind of, it doesn't look like my other arm even now. It's not, I mean, I think it probably always will look a bit funky. It's pretty functional, but the crux of Rain Shadow, sorry, back to the main point, revolves around a left-hand undercut. And undercutting is probably still the hardest thing for me to get range-wise at the moment. So thinking about doing my hardest route ever with a really hard boulder problem that centers around a left-hand undercut when I have a dodgy left wrist uh, feels like quite an undertaking. Not to say it's impossible. So that's kind of issue number one. I think potentially that is surmountable if I wanted to. Um, issue number two is I really don't want to take that fall again. Sure. After injury, I really felt like there were loads of factors that came into that fall, as we talked about in the first podcast. And I felt like I went in quite kind of um, the problem solving head on to try and work it out and decide whether it's safe or not. And like I said in the podcast, I tested my kind of hypothesis and I felt like, okay, I can go back to trying this route safely. And then this happened. And without going into too many details, there were, I guess, a couple of things that I hadn't accounted for that could happen again. It wasn't the same fall. I didn't invert or anything, but it's still, it's still not a great fall. And I don't want to go to hospital a third time. I, yeah, I to be honest, sure. in hospital, I wouldn't be surprised if they turned me away if I turn up a third time. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like, no, not you again. <laughs> um, I just, you know, that's the main thing for me is that I'm not sure I want to put myself in that position again. It's not worth it for a rock climb at the end of the day. And after the head injury, I really felt like I could change things and make it safer. I didn't feel like I was going back into a dangerous space. I felt like I had problem solved. I'd moved some stuff. I'd changed a load of factors and it was going to be safe. I feel like I have learned experientially that I was potentially a little bit wrong there, even though it was a totally, it was the same move. So in some ways the same fall, but different, it went wrong in a different way, but it's still some of the kind of underlying mechanisms of the positioning of the bolt and, you know, all these kinds of things. So if there was a way that I could somehow rig it rope wise so that I didn't have to take that same lead fall, to try the route, then potentially I might consider it. But to be honest, there is so much other stuff I would like to do. There's so many other rock climbs in the world. There's so many places I haven't been that at the moment I'm just grateful 
to be climbing again and I want to go and do lots of rock climbing and not go back to the hospital. Yeah, and you know, the whole narrative of come back stronger doesn't have to be limited to rain shadow either. It's no, absolutely. You, know, you you have the whole world at your disposal for for rock climbing and you don't yeah, have yeah. to stick to that one that has this one section that is is rightfully scary for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame. It's a real shame. I think that's the word that kind of um, sums it up for me because I put a lot of work into it and I really enjoyed it. It was a really kind of happy space for me trying that route. But the whole time I really tried to have a process focus about this route. I really, really tried not to make it about the outcome, to make it about learning, to make it about fun and, you know, engaging in a challenge. And really, in some ways, this is the ultimate test. Like I've learned so much from that experience. I'm a better climber. I'm stronger. Um, I'm more bold, funnily enough, but still, you know, I've, I've, I've learned loads in different aspects from the route. So to walk away with all that learning, but without the kind of cherry on top of having clipped the chains, it's kind of the ultimate test of it being a process and the process being the most important thing. Um, and it's not easy, but. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And I think that, you know, we talked about this a little in the, the first time we chatted and while I do believe that that sending is an important part of the process, I don't think it has to be a part of the process every time. You know, we talked about mm. learning more through the failures, through the attempts than you do on the actual send go. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's a shame not to be able to see it through. Sure. Um, whether that means doing it or not, because it was never a sure thing. It was, you know, right at my limit, my personal limit. And, you know, maybe I would have done it. I feel like I had it in me, but I also might not have done it. And I might have had to have eventually given up. And that's how I envisaged not doing it. You know, when I think or thought about the two possible futures of like, oh, there's this one kind of version of events where I eventually send. And then this is one version of events where I don't do range shadow, which was very possible. But it was more about me gradually realizing that I wasn't going to be good enough and, you know, mm -hmm. perhaps giving up at some point. I didn't imagine it ending this way. So it just feels like a shame because I don't feel like I got to fully fight to the end. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll change my mind and I'll find a way to make it safer. Or I've had a few conversations with people about whether it's possible to move the bolt. Or, but the problem is, you, you, it's right in the middle of the crux. So like, you can't really take a hand off to clip anywhere. And there's a few like potential options, but of uh, to make it, um, you know, to kind of eliminate taking that exact same fall. Um, but. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, I haven't, basically, I haven't completely closed the door, but I've definitely focused my mind on other things. I mean, I'm so far off the pace at the moment from even thinking that that would be physically possible for me. Um, it's hard, I'm sure everyone listening has had an injury at some point, and depending on the severity of it, I'm sure you've had the same, like it is quite hard to imagine ever being your previous form again, and I'm still in that headspace, so even thinking about trying range shadow kind of feels ridiculous to me right now. Sure. And, you know, I think you said something really important there and reading through the comments on your Instagram post, 
you know, Hazel said something similar. Uh, Tim Emmett said something similar in that you don't have to decide right now. You can, you can wait years down the road. And if you're back to form and you come up with a way, then great. You can go back to it or you don't have to really, it's up to you to do what you want to do. And, you know, you've taken a lot away from the process. And I think that's the main important thing. Absolutely. You've kind of uh, kind of summed it up really well there is that I've decided not to decide. (laughs) I've decided not to. There was a time when I just wanted to fully close the door and just be like, I am so done with this. And then I thought, no, just just like softly draw the door closed. So you don't have to look through it at the moment. You don't really have to think about it. But you also don't have to rule it out in the future. Um, At the moment, I feel like it's probably, you know, if I had to put my money on it, (laughs) I'd say it's more likely I won't go back to it. Sure. Um, Because of all the reasons I spoke about. Um, But, yeah, like you say, I don't need to decide now. Life is hopefully long. (laughs) Yeah. So I've got time. Um, You're sounding like your dad there with this. Yeah. This whole impermanence. (laughs) And everything will pass. (laughs) Um, You need to listen to the rest of the podcast to get that reference. I don't know if this is going to go in at the beginning or the end. (laughs) I think think I'll put this in at the end so they've already heard your dad. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people deal with this sort of thing, even if it's not a big injury or, you know, a bad fall. Oftentimes we make a statement about something we want to do and then our motivation just changes and we go another direction. And And I've definitely had feelings of, should I live up to that previous statement I made and, and follow that path, even though I'm more motivated to go a different direction now? And I think yeah. that's something a lot of people struggle with. It's really interesting because you feel almost like if that changes that you're somehow betraying your previous self or right. or that you've kind of lied or been fraudulent in some way but it's not it's just that the situation has changed and I think it's sometimes it's braver to own up to that and just say well things have changed and you know I'm, I'm going to go in a different direction um but it's really interesting so after the head injury I had this real drive to like overcome to kind of like get back on the horse and like find that. And it, was, it wasn't just get back into climbing. It was get back on range. I wanted to go to the place that I'd hurt myself and I wanted to, you know, really work through it. And I had this really strong drive. And I don't know if it was because I was able to go back sooner. And I had this whole idea about how I could make it safe and stuff. But this time I felt, didn't feel that drive at all. I felt much more sad actually this time and and, um, more apathetic and just low generally more about the whole thing because there wasn't that kind of fire in me and I missed that for quite a long time when I had my arm in a cast and I couldn't climb like I I would it took quite a lot of energy to generate kind of motivation for for anything actually kind of at least climbing related or exercise related um and so it was really interesting how they were so different. And I'm now getting drive back, but it's not for rain shadow. It's for climbing and other things and kind of getting back in, the, in shape. You know, now I'm climbing again. But yeah, it was really interesting, that difference. And you can't kind of, well, it's quite hard to switch that on if it's not there. Yeah, you can't, you can't force it. No. And that's the thing. After the head injury, I wasn't, really wasn't forcing it. I have this kind of fire. Right. 
Right. And at the time, it was just, uh, it was kind of gone. It's like an anti-fire. What's that? Like a cold dunk. <laughs> like a Gilly <laughs> MacArthur. Like an ice bar, a three-month ice bar. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a really different kind of experience. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, I, I've said this before, but I, I appreciate that you put these feelings and these ideas out there. And, and I read through several of the comments today of other people echoing the same thing, saying, thank you for sharing these thoughts, because these are the things we don't necessarily hear um, from a lot of the, the pro climbers that we all admire and, you know, follow closely. Um, so mm. I, I appreciate you putting those things out and being willing to, to discuss these things. Oh, good. I'm glad it's useful. I mean, obviously, I'm, uh, I'm not the first person to get injured. A lot of people get injured all the time and a lot worse than me, uh, much worse. And, you know, I think sometimes it's nice to have that kind of shared experience and solidarity with people, even if you don't know them. I had a few people actually message me about breaking their wrists around the same time or in the weeks following and asking for, you know, a bit of help or a bit of, you know, just like, how are you doing? And me being like, oh, I'm three weeks ahead of you. Actually, you know, it's getting better or, you know, this bit was, you know, and obviously all the fractures are different, but like, you know, a rough time frame. And I had a friend, I've had a bunch of friends actually who've had broken wrists. Again, not the same fracture exactly, of course, but like similar type things. And they've been amazing, like giving me, advice and you know time frames of what to expect and you know I have a friend who broke a wrist almost ex he broke his wrist uh, Dan Varian one of the Beastmaker guys mm -hmm. he broke his wrist um, about a year pretty much a year before I did and it was great to talk to him and our breaks were similar in some ways and he was like you know I was climbing at three months and then I was doing this this month and then crimping is, was still hard at this point and I'm still not, he was like, I'm still not 100% where I was on a board, but it doesn't really that matter that much outside. And, you know, all this kind of information. And so I feel like I got loads of support and help from other climbers in the community. And so it was nice to be able to pass that on, whether it's in private messages with people or, you know, on a more public platform. And I think that's one of the great things about the climbing community is we're all pretty, um, everyone's pretty nice and wants to share. And I really felt that support. Um, which has been nice. Yeah, and all that stuff just helps you, you know, draw out your stair steps up to the the, exactly. the future Mina. And yeah, I just saw recently that you went on a climbing trip and you were really stoked to be climbing. And it's at a level that you're used to climbing very, very easily. And, you know, you're finding joy in battling regardless of what mm -hmm. the grade is and I mean I think that's massively important that you're you're finding those things regardless of rain shadow rain shadow was a cool narrative and I think it'll remain an interesting narrative and it was a, a great tool to learn through but it doesn't have to be the you know the final chapter oh no not at all I mean I think I'll climb my whole life for sure and yeah. whether or not I get back Rain Shadow is a very small part of that. It was a chapter, um, and it was a really fun chapter, and I learned a lot from it, and it might be the end of the chapter, or maybe there'll be some kind of uh, um, <laughs> added chapter. Yeah, Rain Shadow epilogue someday, potentially. Yeah, 
I go back in my fifties and break my other arm or something. <laughs> don't <laughs> say that. They don't recognize me, so they still treat me at the hospital. <laughs> well, Steve McClure will still be there as a sad puppy, I'm sure. So. Oh, he'll have another project by then, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I appreciate you taking some time out again to kind of give us a little bit of context into how things have changed. And, you know, I don't think it changes the ultimate story at all. Like I just said, I think I think it's still a great learning tool. And I think a lot of people will see, you know, a rain shadow that they have, so to speak, and, and be able to learn a lot from it. Mm, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Onwards, onwards and, and upwards to other crags and other routes and other places. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I'd love to, in a couple of years, if we bump into each other again, I'd love to record another one and, you know, see how the site has changed and where you're headed and what, it's, what it all looks like then. Yeah, that would be great. That would be awesome. Cool. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And um, we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm. You know, early in this conversation, Mina said um, that rain shadows began to define her. And and that was partially my fault from bringing rain shadow up to begin with, um, just as many other people had in interviews and in talking to her. And, and I think it's a really easy thing to let these big either accomplishments or big projects or... Uh, anything like that to really define you um, in your own mind. And it's tough to step outside of yourself and see that other people can see a more complete picture of you than what's going on at, right at this moment. You know, if, if Mina never goes back to Rain Shadow, it won't affect a single thing about how I think about her and how most of us probably all of us think about her as a climber. I mean, she's got these incredible achievements already um, under her belt. And, you know, what I've, what I've seen in the videos and what I've seen in the Project Mina film and what I see on her social media and from chatting with her is something entirely different. And I know that's tough to, tough to connect to. It's tough to step outside of yourself and see that. So I think it's something important to remember that when you put yourself out there and when you tell other people or just tell yourself for that matter that you're going to do this thing and then ultimately maybe you don't succeed maybe your motivations change and you never even get around to trying it that's totally okay that's human that's normal and you follow your psych and see where it leads you maybe someday it'll lead you back maybe someday it won't totally okay Thanks again to Mina for sitting down and for calling in today. And uh, I look forward to having another one with her in the future. You can find her at at Mina Climbing on Instagram. You can also find out more about her and her nutrition services and what she's up to at MinaLeslieWujastic.com. That's M-I-N-A-L-E-S-L-I-E. W-U-J-A-S-T-Y-K.com or you can go right there into the show notes on your pocket supercomputers and you can click the link that goes directly to her website that way. 
I also think that this episode is a really great example of how much better conversations are when they happen in person. I really value that. That's that's the reason I started this podcast because I was having conversations face to face with people and it's so rare today that we get to do that for an hour looking directly at each other and having these in-depth conversations and it really shows up both in the audio quality and in the quality of the conversation and that is entirely due to the support from our patrons they make it possible for me to travel for me to shoot out to another state when i know somebody's there that i really want to talk to they make it possible for me to sit down face to face with people and have these conversations constantly so if you're interested in keeping this thing going please check us out at patreon.com slash power company podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can help support the podcast going forward make sure it continues frankly i'm addicted to this thing so it'll continue for as long as i can make that happen but we really really appreciate your support so check that out you can also find that link right there in your pocket supercomputer in the meantime, you guys know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagram, the Facebook, and the Pinterest. And actually, you know what? I've said for a long time, I don't know what the hell purpose Pinterest serves, but I was just checking some of the Google Analytics on our website the other day, and Pinterest drives a fair amount of traffic to our website. So there, it's a good thing. Pinterest, check us out on there at Power Company Climbing. And, you know, maybe Twitter would drive a bunch of traffic to our website too, but uh, you know the deal. We don't tweet. We scream like eagles.